Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 35, End of the Line. This week, we're discussing season 2, episode 22 of Buffy, Becoming, part 2, and series 3, episode 6 of Doctor Who, The Lazarus Experiment. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, Becoming Part 2, mm-hmm. Buffy, we've made it through two seasons now. Yeah, Very exciting. Yeah. Um, so, we talked about this right before we started recording, that the text, the obligatory end of season text that you got from me just said, well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely, like... The ending of this is... It ends on a downbeat. One of those... It's a down... It's a super downbeat. And it's uh, one of those uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of... Yeah. Nobody wins. This is like the opposite of everybody lives. This is nobody wins. And... Or at least... Well, I guess the Scoobies got out okay, but they don't really know the full extent yet of what... Of what all happened. Right. So, um, right. from where Buffy's sitting, uh, this is really kind of a no-win situation. Yeah, and and um, that's an interesting point because the the Scoobies they are left in the dark at the end, and they and they sort of acknowledge that fact, right? They're, yeah. I mean, Oz is like, well, we know the world didn't end because you know, so, look around us yeah. here. Let's take a look at it. Here it is. So we're assuming but, that it didn't all go to rot, but yeah, yeah. But beyond that, and and I like how you get a taste of each of the character sort of outlooks, right? You get especially sort of between Giles and um, Willow. Wait, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Giles or no, who? Oh, now now I'm forgetting who says that. You know, oh maybe she killed, had to kill. Is it is it Xander who actually says that? Um, that maybe Buffy had to kill. Uh, Angel. Angel. Yeah, I like, think Xander says it because then Willow says, "Well, maybe right. it worked, and they just want to be alone." So you get right the Xander versus the Willow the, the perspectives, right? Right. So anyway, and it's maybe more about what each of them are hoping happened rather than what right. they might actually think happened. Right. Exactly. Uh, and I mean, you have to understand Willow because she. I shouldn't start talking about Willow, but she has some evidence to suggest that. They may have escaped because she felt, you know, she thinks the yeah. ritual worked. And she, so, as Cordy points out, the globe, the orb started glowing. So, you know, obviously that right. means it worked. <laughs> right, right. So, so she's maybe not being, um, you know, naively optimistic in them. Oh, she actually thinks, you know, well, I, I have good reason to think that it, it did work. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but Willow also knows. Buffy well enough to know that she'll come back when she's ready. You know, that's the that's the main sentiment from Willow is, we'll see her. She'll turn up, you know. And for whatever reason, she just needs her time alone. Um, but we're not going to start talking about Willow. We're going to start with Buffy. Because yeah. um, I think uh, having, even though these, the stories lead into each other from the first half to the second... Mm-hmm. But although although they do that, they also feel very separate. Like we talked about the fact that like the um, the flashbacks and the voiceovers are contained in the first part, mm-hmm. um, yep. whereas this is very much a separate story. But um, 
it's kind of interesting that it, they share the same title. You know, it's becoming part one and part two. And I think that the first half is so much about Angel's becoming who he became. Like they talk about it, you know, the voiceover prompts you to be thinking about life choices and the moments that shape you, whether they're little moments or mm -hmm. big ones. Yeah. And that you don't necessarily know which ones are which, which are the moments which are going to define what direction you go in your life. Mm -hmm. And following Darla seemed like such a casual decision, but look at the ripple effect that it had on his entire life right. and beyond, right. you know, past his life into his afterlife and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, so now that it's switched over and it's not so much directly about Angel's decisions, um, this second half is all about Buffy's decisions and her becoming, you know, who she is going to be. And it's about the choices that she's faced with. Mm -hmm. uh, really, really specifically at the end, you know. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of interesting. And we had talked, you know, maybe we can talk about this so what are we to make of what Buffy is becoming because she's by herself at the end she mm -hmm. doesn't have any of the friends there so she doesn't get to talk through any what of what she's been through we don't really know what she's thinking we don't get any dialogue no voiceovers she just does what she has to do packs up her stuff and leaves town so we're left to sort of speculate as to what it is she's gone through and what the consequences of the choices are and what she might become in the future. So it's kind of an interesting, ambiguous yeah. sort of ending. Well, and it's interesting that the idea of becoming, right, it's a, it's a present progressive participle. So very nice. So uh, breaking out that this is what you learned in Latin. <laughs> well, it's I mean, just thinking about it, the progressive aspect is that it's continuous. So yeah. each of these moments, right? It's it's about what we do in those moments, but it never until you die, and you mentioned Angel's afterlife. After you die, you after <laughs> even, yeah, yeah, like. It's it's a const uh, a constant process of becoming. It's not just yeah. um, you know you don't become you continue becoming and and right. it's that it's that continual nature of it. I think is is what both of these show because you know with Angel um, in the first part we see that it's it's this choice after choice after choice right and he goes through a number of changes. He becomes so to speak several times and. You know, mm -hmm. there's sort of like like we get from Whistler that there's uh, like a 90 year hiatus, but like uh, in in Angel's development, I'm talking about. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but during that time, he's becoming, you know, so to speak, what he needs to be. He he's getting to that part. Um, you know, and it's it's interesting. There's a um, there's actually a, a special feature which you watched. I know um, from the DVDs that that we might want to get into more in our season review but one thing that struck me is is um something i had thought about before but just the idea of um vampirism as almost um in, in the sense of drug addicts right we get in school mm -hmm. hard where where 
they call they call the vampires drug addicts, right? And Snyder's all like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, they're just they're just meth addicts, or maybe not meth, but whatever. PC yeah. or something, yeah. whatever. Um, PCP, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. and it's like there's this whole sort of drug metaphor, and then um, there's some allusions, I think, too, with Drusilla, where it's you know it's kind of like you know she can't sort of help herself in in some case you know she just and 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 in other cases with vampires where they just kind of go for the blood and um in thinking about that um i totally forgot where i was going to go with with that aspect of it i i know what i think i know what you're thinking of in that in that special feature they talk about joss talks about it be as becoming uh, or the vampirism is something that you um, progressively get worse with. No, no. Is that what you were thinking no, of? No, I was, no, I was going to relate this back to um, this particular discussion here. Um, so anyway, crap, I can't believe, I completely it's something lost you my can, focus there and I apologize. The, you can, well, you were talking about Angel and the fact that it's not like, okay, Darla bites him and he becomes a vampire because that's not the end of the oh, story. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. What I what I was gonna say is this is like with that whole this whole sort of drug metaphor is that um, in recovery programs you talk about having to hit rock bottom, and so mm-hmm. like with Angel, like all that time during that ninety years, he's getting to the point where he hits rock bottom, and we see him right at rock bottom right. where Whistler picks him up. That was my only point I was gonna make. So like, but it's it's the fact that it's a constant process, and that's yeah. what brings you into becoming. So when we by the time we get to here with Buffy. It's we've we've known her um, and we saw in the previous episode, you know, with with the one flashback that shows her becoming a slayer. Right. And and now mm-hmm. um, in the first season, we, we sort of saw her getting used to that idea of being a slayer. And in the second season now, we've seen her being more used to that idea. But we see in this episode that she still struggles with that. And I think that yeah. that's that's the idea of where Buffy is with what she's becoming it's it you know am i all in now and she has witnessed right right at the end of the last episode she witnesses kendra she witnesses mm-hmm. another slayer who is now dead like it's no longer just oh i might die or you know whatever it's no actually this was a friend of mine and more than a friend she was also a slayer she was presumably as powerful as I am and yeah. able to take care of herself as well as I can. And now she's on the floor lying dead. The police are after me. Snyder is a jerk and expelled me from school. My own mother doesn't believe me. I had to team up with another vampire to defeat my boyfriend who I just now had to kill. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's these constant, you know, things that are coming at her. And it's like, we do have this idea of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, mm-hmm. well, be is a fixed state. Becoming is not. And that's, right. that's, I think, sort of the theme or the idea of both these episodes. But in particular here with Buffy, that's, that's what we're sort of seeing is that it's a constant thing. And, and that's why we get the reminders from Whistler in the voice backs more so last time, but, but also here with his couple of, um, you know, uh, appearances, but in yeah. Giles's house, you know, I think it's it's that what are you going to do? What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to give up? And right. And of course, it's in the symbolic 
you know, significance of him being in Giles' house. You know, right, right. This is where she goes for guidance, and Giles not there, but Whistler is. Yeah, um, yeah. That's oh, that's interesting. I hadn't even really considered that aspect. I hadn't either until you just said it. So, <laughs> um. Anyway, which is yeah, and and it is also interesting that because we also were thinking about how what's my line sort of is the setup for the for this sort of yeah end of end of the season arc and everything um right right this is the so much this is that, like parts three and four of what's my line right, kind yeah, of. <laughs> yeah yeah and so much of that was about um buffy's um sort of philosophy versus kendra's and kendra's being so much about self-reliance whereas buffy was the one with the slayer with friends right mm. that's like what distinguishes her and now in the end yeah. and Upon Kendra's death, it's Buffy sort of embracing Kendra's philosophy a little bit more, well, um, or at least, or at least Whistler right. is prompting her to think that way. Which is that, you know, friends may be well and good, but they're not the Slayer. You're the Slayer, and if you want to get this done, you have to rely on yourself because that might be the only thing you can count yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's very interesting because as much as Buffy seems to say, she doesn't want to listen to Whistler's aspect there uh, or his guidance or whatever. She follows it, right? She, she pretty much she does. tells, yeah. she tells yeah. Xander, you're not coming with me. Okay. Well, if you come mm-hmm. with me, you're not fighting. You're only there to help get Giles out. Right. Like she's already pushing him away. She's, She's leaving her house again with Joyce, you know, saying this is something I have to do. You know, yeah. it's not I can't explain it to you. You can't help anyway. You know, it's so it's it mm-hmm. is these moments. But at the same time. They are helping Will or yeah. you know, Willow and Cordy and Oz and Xander are all still helping her. So it's it, it's kind of funny, like she doesn't want to accept what Whistler says, yet she sort of pushes everyone away in acceptance almost of what Whistler and Kendra before her were saying. But at the same time, they're because they are friends, they're helping her anyway. And right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a convoluted sort of. Well, and Whistler has that Whistler has that line about uh, in the end, you're always by yourself. You've all, you're all you've got. And then you get, um, when she sort of begrudgingly teams up with Spike, he says, I'm all I'm you've all got. You got. Yeah. And no, it's that's a great that parallel. nice echo of, you know, yeah. even then she has to rely on. Mm, that's right. On Spike a little bit. Um, that's right. No, that's a, that's a great point. I, um, so no, I'm glad I think, you picked up on that. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, so it is like, even though she is embracing that philosophy, I think we still have room to doubt the completeness of that philosophy, you know, mm. it doesn't necessarily say that Buffy is capable or would be correct to put everything on herself and completely, you know, like I th- even if she, even if that's where she ends up at the end of the episode, I don't know that we are necessarily meant to um, agree with that or to see that as exactly what happened. Right. That, it is so complicated and so many other, you know, variables are at play, right. even though Buffy feels very alone. Right. Well, and I would point out, too, so we get very strong instances here of Angel becoming 
or attempting to become or whatever um and buffy becoming but you have to you have to look beyond just the main characters right everybody like the the if we want to place a metaphor of the week on this or of the two weeks here the the idea is that everybody is always becoming right so at yeah. the same time Xander is becoming and Willow is becoming and even Oz and Cordy and Giles are all becoming as are Drew and you know like and Spike, and Spike and, Drew, and yeah, yeah like I mean it's it's not it is messy it is convoluted because it's never just about one person's story and and we see you know to an extent with Willow I think probably more clearly than others uh, what she may be becoming you know like what right. you know what she's working towards and um but we also see with Xander like the little lies right he's being he's being more subtle in his uh uh hatred at this point and more devious and maybe not quite the friend or trusting person that we always wanted or saw him to be so mm -hmm. you know there there are other aspects to becoming you know beyond and i think that's that's the thing right everyone's sort of always caught up in their own story and that almost seems more to me like what whistler is talking about um when he says in the end you're all you've got because mm -hmm. you're the only one who knows your own story and who knows how well you even know that right, right and right, and how yeah. well are you paying attention to what other people are becoming and to what other people are doing um right and it becomes it, yeah part of i mean it. it is that thing of you have to make decisions based on what you know, you know, not what you might think other people know, yeah. you know, and, that they're, and, knowing... and that's the positive, and that is the positive side of that self-reliance is, is to own your own decisions and know thyself and all those sorts of things, yeah. you know. But also knowing that you don't know what other people are going through or what they're trying to, you know, achieve right. or, or. Right. Recognizing your own limited perspective. Yeah. Um, which brings us to Joyce, I think. <laughs> Your yeah. own limited perspective. You can't get a better yeah. segue to Speaking to of Joyce. limited perspectives. So, yeah. so we've been talking um, since the very first episode about the levels of knowledge. Um, and I know we've yeah. sort of let it drop uh, somewhat in, in the second season for some of the more mythological stuff. But this is, for Joyce, um, you know, what is she becoming? Well, she's becoming knowledgeable about some of mm -hmm. the things that have been going on and not in a very gentle or kind way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would say yeah. it starts with the visit from the police. Now we already have seen Buffy in trouble with the police, right? And Ted. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, and the police were kind of scummy there, but like now we're getting more of a sense that there's something I don't, I don't know. Well, see, all right. We we're talking about Joyce, but now I'm talking about police. Um, <laughs> Snyder calls the police of Sunnydale uh, deeply stupid. Uh huh. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know that that's true um, either. And I don't. I think they're they're deeply controlled by other things. Well, <laughs> and that's that's they, a, they seem to not be so much stupid as as under the thumb of whatever. Mm whatever and whoever because we've talked about Snyder being somehow in cahoots with the local government. So Right, we are they are they stupid or are they just obliged to do whatever 
Snyder and their bosses tell them yeah. to do. They're they're def- like the the conversation that um, the detective has with Joyce is doesn't seem to me to be a conversation with someone who's ignorant or you know uh, necessarily uh, <laughs> incompetent in some way. Um, but yeah, well, it, and and you do get that and you get that impression because, and I know this isn't this is still you know, a, a genre story, we're not necessarily going for completely naturalistic realism. So I get that. But on the other hand, you think if they really thought that Buffy was behind the homicide of a teenage girl in the school library, they would have this place canvassed. So they, people would be staking out her house. They would be all over her. Whereas you kind of get the impression that, yeah, they want to catch her, but they don't necessarily want to catch her in the way that they want to catch a common criminal, mm. you know, like she almost gets away a little too easy or, or they're not quite trying as hard or in well, the same way that they would if. Yeah. And I mean, come on, that, what, that, what, what police officer really opens fire on an unarmed 16 year old girl <laughs> running away or 17 right. year old, I guess she is now, but you know, like, who, who? No, that would never happen. As, and certainly not in a school and not with someone in the line of fire. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it's hard. There are moments where you, you wonder, maybe they are kind of not completely in the know, but like at the same time, I, I think you're right. Like there's, there, there seems to be something more going on. It's, it's almost like, okay, are they under orders to not like so maybe they're under orders that she is dangerous so you know yeah. the use of weapons is authorized or maybe you know check out her house but don't make a scene you know like don't have the place like you know i don't know you just do get the sense that there's something else going on than just they're stupid and and don't realize that yeah. she's not responsible for this crime um so yeah so that's all to say that I think that that conversation is where Joyce's veil starts to fall. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but of course at, at that point it's just like, there's something going on. She doesn't quite know what. And at that point she's just worried, but then Buffy brings Spike home. <laughs> um, and <laughs> them sitting with their awkward silence in the living room is yeah, oh, absolutely hysterical. Yes, yes, that is one of the finer moments of the series, yeah. in fact. Yeah. Um, and, and I love when Joyce asks, don't I know you from somewhere? And, and here, here, we have another call back to school hard because that's where yeah. Joyce hits him yeah. over the head and says, you know, get the hell away from my daughter. Um, yeah. And, and he reminds her of that. And she's kind of like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I blocked that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like the, the, the references to them being in a band together. Um, in that same special that I referenced a minute ago, the, uh, I believe, I think it's Marty Knox and said that Spike and Drew, um, are, are Sid and Nancy couple. Sid and Nancy, and, uh, yeah. The yeah. Sid being Sid Vicious, um, of the Sex Pistols and, and very much, uh, you can see Spike in that role, <laughs> you know, yes, of the, yeah. of, I mean, we've, we've mentioned before the sort of the rock star persona, the punk rock, yeah, punk yeah, rock persona yeah. that he has. So, um, just kind of a funny, and of course, Buffy does not fit that sort of, yeah. you know, uh, idea of at all. But I mean, that's kind of what makes it funny. Um, yeah. but yeah, so then, and of course they, so they fight the vampires and, 
or the vampire uh and joy sees it <laughs> and it's like there's no getting out of this yes, one the, there's like yeah she had her eyes wide open no no conveniently getting knocked unconscious or anything like that right. so um so what do you what do you think about all that like the way that that buffy sort of i mean that's the revelation but it still has to sort of be explained what's going on right so right right it's not let, let's just say it this way when oz says hey did everyone just see that guy turn to dust he kind of just accepts you know we we get the feeling that oz just sort of accepts things and he kind of puts two and two together and says actually that makes a lot of sense joyce yeah. does not react that way so it's it's sort of like Oz accepts the evidence of his own eyes and then understands that he has to make reality somehow conform with what he now knows to be true. Right. That somehow this thing which looks impossible, I saw it. Mm -hmm. So there is a, there is a, you know, it's just a matter of understanding what is really happening. Whereas with Joyce, you do get that sense of denial that yes, she sees it, and then almost immediately she wants to deny having saw it, you know, that it, it becomes um, about, you know, wanting to get Buffy to, you know, it's like, even though she sees this happening, there's still a sense of this is Buffy playing at something, mm -hmm. you know, that it's. And it's not even, I mean, the line is, you know, have you tried not being a slayer? <laughs> and, and it's kind yeah. of a funny, yeah. you get, it's kind of a funny line, but you kind of get this. It's not even her saying, oh, I accept that you are this, but I'm asking you to not do it anymore. It's not even going that far. It's that, you know, cut it out, Buffy. Like, there, it, there's more that sense of she still doesn't really believe her, what she's seen. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, or or if she does and the and the memory fades very quickly, you know, that in a matter of 10 minutes... You know, she's wanting to kind of, again, pretend like it's not happening or get Buffy to sort of, you know, will Buffy into acting differently. Yeah. Um, and actually, the other thing with that line of, have you tried not being a slayer? That maybe there's almost a kind of coming out of the closet aspect to this, right. too. <laughs> yeah, of yeah. learning something about your child and then being like, well, can't you just choose not to do it? Like, that seems like, right, right. you know, I don't know that we should go so far as to making that into any sort of overarching metaphor, but yeah. there's a kind of resonance to that of the parent having to come to terms with something about their child, which they may not want to hear or may not be expecting. So yeah, either expecting or comfortable with, or yeah, right. Like you said, even want it that way. Um, and, and it, you know, it comes to a head because it's, Joyce can't even make that like even even when Buffy's like look and and I mean there's also some blame to put on to Buffy here right so right she doesn't exactly say okay let's sit down and have a compassionate conversation about this right. you know thing that yeah. you just learned about me this isn't right. like the talk that we saw a few no. weeks ago <laughs> no. um no. this is no Buffy is in a mighty hurry and we've got a right yeah. and 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 rightfully so she's worried about you know saving the world but yeah you can understand Joyce's frustration when she sure, yeah. when she gets to the point where she's throwing a glass and saying, you can't just walk out on me. Well, and, and the, the line that really jumped out to me the second time, which I kind of didn't catch because it happened so fast, but 
what prompts Joyce to throw the glass is Buffy just flippantly says, have another drink, mom. Mm. And on the one hand, I I kind of understand where both of them are because you can understand, that's Buffy saying, I know you, you're going to have another drink and you'll forget about, about all this by the morning mm. that just don't worry about it. You know, you're so good at pretending that you don't see what's happening. So it's kind of a, Right. Damning critique is, from Buffy's point of this view. This is the woman know. who was dating a robot for a number of weeks. Yeah. 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 And and but also, you know, then for Joyce to receive that, I think, is extremely, you know, difficult to have your own daughter say, you know, I'm, you know, keeping all these secrets from you and getting into all sorts of trouble and, you know, just have your drink and don't worry, you know, is not exactly what you want to hear from your teenage daughter. So you kind of can understand where both of them are coming from in that moment. No, absolutely. And that's, that's the hard part about it. And that's, it's not, I mean, yes, everything Buffy points out is right. That there are fights, there are weird occurrences. There are things that choice probably should have been putting, you know, two and two together that at least something was going wrong. You know, now maybe, now maybe we can't expect her to jump to the conclusion that there are, are vampires and Buffy's a slayer and all of that. But, you know, again, going back to the Oz comparison, right? Like he thinks about it for a moment. He's like, actually, yeah, that there's, that puts a lot of things into perspective and kind of makes sense now that I think about it. And Joyce is just adamantly refute. So, so there is, there's a discontinuity on both sides. There's there's certainly a lack of empathy or or at least sympathy from Buffy's mm-hmm. aspect up for the uninitiated, you know, yeah. uh, and particularly her mother, who she feels, I guess, should be initiated, though. Why, you know, all of that evidence should lead her to this conclusion that Buffy seems to think there's still, you know, something not quite right there. But like. But yeah, like, you know, for Joyce to not have seen anything or to have understood that anything was going on yeah, seems a little bizarre to us at this moment. And I think I think that's just a lot of what's going on here. But then, of course, Joyce takes it that one step too far. Right. Mm. If you walk out of this house, don't ever come back. Um, And that's that's sort of the I mean, I almost use the term unforgivable. Um, It's not unforgivable. But it's it's that thing where you know immediately after she says it that she regrets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Buffy takes her at her word. Right. That's the that's the that's the last. I mean, that's really the. This is her last effort to try to keep Buffy right, there. Right. That that's the threat to. It's an you ultimatum. Know, this is the last card I have to play. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It's, but it's an ultimatum, course, and Buffy, and it's not even like. Buffy's not even like calling a bluff here. She's just, I have to leave. And if that's the way you feel about it, then I guess that this is me leaving. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which is what she does at the end, you know? Right. Right. And she keeps going. Exactly. Yeah. It's right. It's not just, she was, I mean, she does apparently briefly go back to pull together a bag of clothes. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it's, unfortunate and we'll see where that takes us or takes Buffy um anything else on on Joyce um um well the only other line that really stuck out to me was her saying 
uh, this is because you don't have a strong father figure, isn't it? So there's that. Yeah. Again, there's that element of the the blame. The psychology. This has got to be. Yeah. This is this. Well, yeah. I mean, a this is you having issues. You know. So again, putting the blame on Buffy, but also dad is clearly the problem. Right. Right. You know, it's not. It's, it's not nothing accepting. to do with our relationship. Right. Yeah. So there's still some of that like resentment i think mm-hmm. and unresolved sort of issues between the three of them yeah which is kind of interesting and and it, and i wonder where buffy is going is she running away is she going to dad's house you know i think i, I guess we'll see but well that's you know. yeah that's a good question so we and we know um they were coming up on finals, but obviously they're not done with school yet here, right? So, right. so last we know that between season one and season two, she stayed at her father's house for most of the summer. Right. Um, right. But yeah, we don't necessarily know where she's going at this point. Like that was yeah, yeah. It's a good question. We'll find out next time. We will. Um, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because there is, and and we saw the the in the flashback in the previous episode you know we saw that fight uh or we heard the fight and we saw buffy mm. and her so i mean it's still clearly something that's fresh even though at this point it's been couple couple years right since they would have yeah. split up mm-hmm. so um yeah still clearly something that's on her mind anyway on joyce's mind um mm-hmm. and buffy's i mean you know, we saw in Ted, you know, there was the desire there that, uh, why does she have to be dating this Ted guy? Why couldn't, you know, she be getting back with my father? So there's, there's hints of that. Um, yeah. At least still at this point. So, um, I don't have anything other, anything else about Joyce. I did before we forget, we talked about Snyder and the police, but I had one more thing about, Snyder, um, before we get back into Buffy character stuff, um, the, 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 he calls the mayor who we heard Mm. a reference to before. Yeah. And so he calls to say that he has good news and this is right after he's expelled Buffy. Mm. So the implication is that Buffy being expelled is the good news. Right. Um, so that's interesting. So who's the mayor and why would he want Buffy to be expelled? Cause on the or at least hand, why would he be pleased if Buffy is expelled? Sure. Because that would seem to suggest that the mayor is maybe some sort of a bad guy that he, you know, wants Buffy out of the way or something. But then you also get the sense of Snyder being charged, you know, with the keeping you know, things under control in Sunnydale that, that the mayor did, wasn't that what we learned before that they, he has to answer to the mayor and that his job is and the city to, council. Yeah. His job is to control mm-hmm. the event. So it, so it's not like the mayor is the kind of bad guy who wants havoc to be wreaked on Sunnydale necessarily. He also wants Snyder to keep things under control to a certain extent. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely, and, and this, I, this is all my speculation. I assume this is foreshadowing for things we might come back to, uh, yeah, later I, on. I mean, you know, I don't obviously want to give away anything, so I won't say one way or the other, but the, you know, the idea definitely is that we're getting a broader sense of 
how things are being managed beyond just the school, right? So like if if we had season one as as the you know very monster of the week metaphor of the week type of thing and we get some of that in season two but season two is more about relationship between buffy and angel and the others you know the scoobies and all of that um Mm -hmm. you are starting to get a sense of the broader sunnydale picture um so yeah it's it there's definitely with the police and Snyder and the, you know, the references to the mayor and the city council, I would say, yeah, just keep an eye on some of those references. And, and, you know, we can see, I think that's also, I don't want to get into too much, but I think that's also just part of the larger arc of the series. Um, Mm. You know, of Okay, if we're talking about becoming, well, what's everyone becoming? We're all becoming older, right? So part of becoming older is becoming more aware of the things outside your immediate sphere of influence. And so Mm -hmm. I think think we may be start. I mean, she's still in high school, so, you know, not too much beyond that, but... But we're right, getting, but the picture might start to broaden. And, you know, we did yeah. we did see in this season, and I don't want to get into like season analysis because we're going to be doing that, you know, soon enough. But yeah. like, you know, we did see in this season, like the frat house. So we know there's a college somewhere, right? We know there's, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere close by at least enough that they can go to frat parties there, and you know, and 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 again with these other with these other uh, police and city council and mayor and, and the idea that there may be a little bit more of a conspiracy going on um, Mm. outside the immediate school uh, situation that we have. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Keep an eye or an ear open for those things and uh, we'll continue to talk about them. Okay. Um, All right. Well, what else about Buffy, I guess in general, beyond the becoming aspect and beyond the, uh, Joyce uh revelation man we're like 40 minutes into this thing almost and we've only been talking about Buffy well okay so I would uh, there's two things I want to talk about with Buffy that the allegiance with Spike (laughs) and um and then the the decisions that she makes at you know that final sort of climax with Angel okay um the main thing I wanted to say with Spike was why the heck does she invite him in her house? Hmm. Drives me crazy. I yeah, I don't know. The, the only the only thing I can say there is just that um, because they know that right, they get attacked outside her house, mm-hmm. so they know that Angel's folks are looking for them. Right. So they want to be private. So they want to have at least some safety there. Um, okay. That would be my sort of explanation, but you're right. That, I mean, a minute ago, I mean, she's it, ready to kill Spike and say, reminding him how the, remember how we're mortal enemies? You know, <laughs> like, why should I care that your girlfriend's a hoe? Um, it's, it's worth it for the scene in the living room with the awkward silence, but it does, especially after what she learned with Angel, who she trusted completely mm-hmm. and then got burned for you know, having invited him in, you know, now I suppose she can change the locks and do her metaphor. Well, and that might be part of it too. Like now they know the spell to. Right. So not a big deal to. She's not thinking about that when she's skipping town and leaving. No, and and, and leaving mom there. Um, Yeah. I think the other, I think the other thing is 
is that she has, I think, Buffy sort of intuits what we heard the judge explicitly state before, right? About uh, Spike and Drew having an affection for each other. Um, it's almost like Gollum, uh, you know, promising by the ring that he won't hurt Frodo mm-hmm. and Sam. We get Spike's promise for Drusilla, um, you know, right. to that they'll leave town if he can save her from Angel and right. all of that. So, like, I would say that Buffy, in doing so, she's also sort of thinking if however much she's not just acting impulsively, which she very well may just be. There's also that aspect of Spike's leaving town, so it doesn't matter if I invite him into my house. Now, right. you know, there's still five more seasons to go in the series, so whether that comes right. back to bite her in the ass, we'll see, or in the neck, yeah. or wherever. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I agree. It seems like a really stupid move. Um, it may just be teenage petulance and, and whatever that she says, all right, just come on in, and or it may be something more tactical or strategic that she's doing. But yeah. I think there are yeah. explanations that at least allow for it so that you don't have to get too stuck on it. And yeah. I feel like by my lengthy defense of it, like you can tell that I, I do sort of think the same way you were just thinking. No, and I think I know, I know enough about like the fact I, I don't expect Spike to come back and slaughter everyone in Buffy's house necessarily. Like, I don't think that's where the story is going. It just seems that it's so soon after the angel thing that I was kind of like, oh, Buffy, you got to be careful with those sorts of things. Mm. But anyway. Yeah. um, No, but that's that's a a good point. Just a little point. Um, So, but the stuff. So, I mean, let's talk about the. The pact. The. Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, so we get. I mean, one of the most interesting aspects of it is this kind of exchange of Giles for Drusilla. That yeah, it's sort yeah. of like that's not that's not even the pact. The pact is we both want the same thing, which is Angel to not wreck this world, the world. Yeah. So we'll help each other out. But then they have to sort of haggle over all the other <laughs> playing pieces that they want. Like, well, okay, you can have this, and uh, you can have that, and okay. We're I good. love. So, I love that that includes when Buffy calls him pathetic and they just exchange punches and then go like right back on to like, yeah, yeah. to like their negotiations. Like you're pathetic. Boom. Boom. Well, uh, you know, like, it's like <laughs> you just punch each other in the face and then just keep talking. Like <laughs> every couple seconds, they just have to. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think you're right. Um, and that is a nice, like we've had for a while spikes frustration with, how things were getting with Angel and Drusilla. So it feels right that he would do this, mm. that this that the season would culminate in him not switching sides because he's still out for his own goals, you know, mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but you believe that, that he has sort of just, you know what, taken it into his own hands. And yeah, um, well, and I think, I think, uh, we can take Spike at his word when he says he actually likes this world. Yeah, you know? sure. He 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 like he likes the happy meals with legs. You know, he yeah. likes dog racing in Manchester United and all of that stuff. Like I, it, you know what it reminds me of a little bit. It, I just had this thought of I don't know if you've ever read 
the screw tape letters, C.S. Mm. Lewis's book. A long time ago, um, but yeah. It, and it just reminds me of, so much of that is about, you know, that the, the demons not necessarily being the apocalyptic, world-destroying, you know, bring hell descending down on, but wanting to, that there being a, 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 a pretty prosaic side to them of just wanting to maintain the status quo, that there's something comfortable about people just happily yeah, the ignorantly going yeah. through their lives, being complacent, not knowing what's going along. And they can just comfortably mm. kind of sit there and enjoy whatever lifestyle they've become accustomed to that, that, you know, and it's almost, a, it's almost annoying when the other demons do kind of make a big show right. of everything that, that they're, you're going to wreck it, you know? So I kind of like that aspect. There's kind of a screw tapey aspect yeah. to Spike, which is just, <laughs> I've gotten comfortable. <laughs> I like the, he's like, you know what? I'm comfortable that this is, I like the world the way it is. Mm -hmm. And if Angel does what he does, he's going to wreck it. So I'd rather right, right. he not even go there. So that's kind of an interesting twist on not well, every it, demon is looking to, you know, initiate the end times. And it goes with what we've said before about Spike, you know, right, right from the first episode where we see him, you know, he's coming in to have fun, right? He wants, mm -hmm. he wants to come in, kick a little ass, then kick back with a pint of blood and watch, yeah. watch the game. You know, like it's, he's yeah. not like, yeah, he, he's, he's not your uh, CEO, the master type no. demon. No. Um, but what's interesting is we got the sense before, based on descriptions of how Angelus was, be, you know, before he was uh, cursed by the gypsies, that that he was somewhat that same way, right? Like that he yeah. and Spike were buddy-buddy and whatever. And now the getting a soul and then losing it again seems to have done something. At least this is my reading. Mm -hmm. I don't know how canonical this is or or how many other people might agree with this um but this right. seems to be my reading of it is just that like there's something here and 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 spike says you know what he might actually get away with it like he this yeah. is why i'm here is because you know i never would have thought about you know going against him before because we were just two bros out having well, a good time but and he wouldn't <laughs> have had a reason to go against him before right but it is it does seem to be because you can't imagine the way Angel's behaving now. You can't imagine him and Spike ever really happily getting along. No. You know, but there's too much rivalry there. Whereas now, it does seem that Angel has changed and Spike isn't happy with that. Yeah. And, and I don't want to say too much because um, throughout the series, we will get more on kind of the Angel and Spike and Drew and Darla and their backstory um, and their relationship pre, you know, Angel's. Okay. Uh, soul getting but right but that does seem consistent i think with what yeah yeah it doesn't seem like angel angelus before was trying to bring about the apocalypse no, all the no, time it, that he was more the kind of troublemaking right. rake who and and his you know. and his uh uh you know like things with like drusilla like yes he was in it he was he was in for the long con so to speak, but he wasn't in, in it for like the destruction of the world. It was, it was very personal. Right. We've sort of seen that um, with how he treats Buffy and here, how he treats with Giles, even, um, you know, mm -hmm. sort of the ways that, that he acts, but it's again, very personal. It's one off. It's, you know, he might kill a person and her whole family or even most of the people in the village, 
but he's not like trying to destroy the entire world. So, yeah. so definitely, um, I think that's interesting. I think that's, you know, it, cause you can get sort of into that viewpoint of, you know, even with what Whistler says, like, you know, just cause I'm a demon doesn't mean that I'm a bad guy. You know, not all the demons <laughs> are trying to destroy the world. And that's kind of where Spike is. Like, yes, he's, I mean, Whistler is actually trying to stop the destruction of the world. Right. Spike yeah. gets there in a similar manner. Now, that's not to say that we think Spike is a completely good guy, you know, uh, rejuvenated or whatever you want to call it. Like, uh, yeah. uh, uh, but his situation, his moments lead him to the point where he becomes someone who helps save the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. that's that's funny. That's interesting. That's, you know, right. different. Although, although he does kind of abandon Buffy at the end, and you think, well, if, if Angel kills him, Angel's going to destroy the... So but he doesn't stick around long enough to make sure. It's kind of like he doesn't want the world destroyed, but he's not willing to put himself so much in the way of actually preventing it. Yeah, and... It would be a bummer if it was, right. but more important is that Drew and I. Get but out he's of at here. least with Drew, right? If the world's gonna <laughs> yeah. end, at least I'm with my girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it would be like a pain in the neck, but it's not so much that he's willing to actively fight alongside Buffy mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not highest on the priority scale. Right. So right, right, exactly. No, and that's a great point to to bring up because, yeah, that he he does kind of look at he's like. Uh, oh well. Yeah. Yeah, he just kind of shrugs. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna kill her, but well, I got what I came for. Yeah. So yeah. So even though they make this pact, right? One out of one out of two ain't bad. <laughs> yeah. No, he doesn't. He doesn't exactly break the pact, but he doesn't exactly uphold it either. Right. So right. It's kind of an interest. It's he's still you know he's looking out for number one. Yeah. That's where he is. Yeah. Um. um just, Which we wouldn't expect anything less from Spike, no, I don't think. No, no, I don't think so either. Um, I, I just want to bring up one more. So you mentioned the funny uh, moment there with him and Joyce sitting in, in their like living room or whatever. And uh, yeah. the other the other funny moment there is when he, he celebrates about Drew killing Kendra. Yeah. Drew bagged a slayer? She didn't tell me. Good for her. Uh, though not from your perspective, I suppose. Although I thought that was kind of interesting that he even considers anyone else. Like, having Buffy and Joyce there almost humanizes him in a way. That he feels compelled to look a little ashamed that he mm. celebrated that. Yeah. Which was kind of interesting. Well, and, you know? and we've seen that uh, he he does tend to have more emotional responses to things, and and even and and there's a nod to that from what Angel says. It's like, what when did you become so level headed? Like, when did you become the guy who thinks beyond the immediate pleasures of the moment, kind of thing? And right. and he sort of snaps back. Well, about time you became so pig headed. But but we also know that like Spike's not really being level headed here. He is thinking about himself. Right. He's not he right. is thinking about the moment and he's thinking, if I let Giles die, then I'm going to get killed. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's the immediate yeah. reaction. Uh, you know, so he's not he's not. Yes, he's coming up with excuses for that, but it really is still for his primary self-interest. It's not, yeah. you know, because he cares about Giles or because he wants Angel's plan to succeed. We know. Right. Um, right. So 
Speaking of Giles. <laughs> Speaking of Giles. No, I, anything else on Buffy, Spike? I guess Angel. Well, we didn't talk about Buffy and Angel really at all. Well, we yeah. need to talk about Buffy and Angel. Yeah, so. so I'm glad you pointed out the whole close your eyes mm. line, which I may have picked up on, but I might not have. So I'm, I'm, was glad. As soon as I saw that, it was like, oh, okay, I see. Very important line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with the music and, and everything kind and of And with the music and together, everything. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's like, you know, I think I started to suspect when, uh, about the time that Willow started saying, I'm going to try to do the, I'm going to try to get the soul back in. It started to occur to me, oh no, it's going to work and she's going to have to kill him anyway. Mm. That, or she's going to know, be killing him like as it happens. Or like somehow. as it yeah. ha- or not, or or yeah, like she stabs him and then the soul comes back in or something. Right. But it is interesting that they didn't go that way. They made it so that she had to she had a good long while to think about it and make mm-hmm. that decision. It wasn't like it wasn't like Romeo and Juliet where you realize that he's back just as you've taken the poison and it's too late or something. It's like no, he comes back before she has killed him and she still then has it's a crueler decision that she has to make um well and it goes it goes back to that whole idea of you know i could save the world but you lose you which i realize is, sure. is the doctor who, quote, doctor who quote, but, yeah. but we used it you know um as our title for one of our episodes and yeah and this is literally that's the choice like it's not yeah. it's not it's cool. one or the there's, other. there's not a yeah. subjunctive there you know it's it's you have to make it's, the choice. Right. Um, right. And, and interesting, a lot of interesting things about it that she, uh, doesn't tell him. I mean, now I don't blame her. That I'm not saying that as a negative necessarily. It may be kinder to not tell him what she's about to do, but she, that's kind of a really effective moment when she just sort of looks over his shoulder and realizes mm-hmm what's happening um and and interesting too that he again like like before with the gypsies when the soul comes back in he doesn't remember everything Mm. so he doesn't even know enough to really understand why she's doing what she's doing you know and and you get that when he says sort of once she stabs him and he says buffy you get that betrayal that he doesn't understand what's going on and i don't know anything about what happens to his character i mean i i know he has a spin-off um <laughs> yes and it I actually takes we'll... place in hell it's yeah. set in hell so <laughs> i know we're gonna see his character again in some form or other right. so my biggest question about that is going to be how much does he understand or not Mm. the choice that she made and is this a flat out betrayal or does he or is there a part of him that would understand that this was the only choice that she could make whatever so that's my question about him going forward is what does he know and um and what might his feelings be about what she did you know Mm. yeah 
Those are because he he would have the ability to make her feel pretty guilty about that. So yeah, those are good questions. If he wants to, so that's what I'm. Definitely good questions. Good, okay. good, good thoughts. I won't say any more than that. Okay. Um, I I had okay. This is the only other. The, the the other big thing I had about Angel was, um, do we ever really find out why his blood is the key? Uh, no. Okay. No, it's, I mean, yeah, you just have to kind of accept that Whistler is telling the truth. And, I mean, we uh-huh. see that it is his blood which makes it work, and then his blood which stops, you know, the apocalypse from happening. So, yeah. Like we see that it really is the case. Um we don't really know uh from from the series why or like any more about Whistler's background or whatever. Um I'll yeah, I'll just say he doesn't show up again. And oh, oh, and, that's and there is funny. there is sort of the um we do get the aspect uh with him talking to Buffy that like this was the moment he was waiting for. And he says, you know, he tells Buffy, you were a surprise and we right. didn't, we didn't expect it to happen <laughs> this way. We thought Angel was going to stop the apocalypse. Not that he was going to start it or be the cause. For right. It. it kind of implies um, that the reason he recruited Angel was because of a catalyst specifically. Right. Yeah. Like there seems to be, there's more information definitely um, than, than what we know. and. Right. There's not really much elucidation on that, unfortunately. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. Just room for speculation, but not necessarily any concrete right. answers about that. Right. Exactly. Okay. So. Um, so yeah. So, but yeah, for some reason, it was Angel that uh, his blood was was necessary for this ritual, and I'll say this. It won't be the last time we see uh, Angel or Angel's blood or something about Angel as being part of like a prophetic sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so, you know, I mean, in these sort of supernatural stories, like obviously we've already seen like prophecies kind of come and go yeah. and you can't uh-huh. like you can't really question them too much. <laughs> You know, you just kind of like have to accept that these are the prophecies that someone made at some point. And, um, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And sometimes they're sort of Macbethian, like we've seen with the judge and stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, that's all I'll say really about that. Uh, but yeah, we don't, we don't really find out if there's a reason why Angel specifically, why his blood is the key. Okay. Fair enough. Um, from but Angel does torture Giles. He does, and Giles holds up pretty well. Yeah, all things considered. Too bad. Uh, yeah, I well, and I thought that when he does, I mean, when he does give up the information, a he's sort of delirious, and so you kind of can completely understand, you know, and Drusilla's messing with his mind and, mm-hmm. you know, showing him visions and everything. But also, you know, the way that Jenny, or it's Drusilla, but Jenny says, tell me what to do, is kind of echoing Buffy wishing that Giles was there to tell her what to do. Mm-hmm. And that this is what gets Giles 
this is Giles. I won't. I don't want to call it a weakness because it's not a bad thing. But Giles, this is how you get to Giles, right? Mm-hmm. Is to appeal to him as the watcher and as the figure of authority, and you know that he wants to help people and to help his friends and tell them what to do. Right. So it's kind of it, it. It kind of works that that would be the thing that he does hold up under torture, but what he doesn't hold up is his friends appealing for help. You know, that that's his sort of weakness, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But he calls Angel a pillock, which is nice and brave of him. (laughs) And tells him to perform the ritual in a tutu. In a tutu. (laughs) Which might have also been funny to see. Sure. Um, And Angel, so I know we just talked about him, but what's his obsession with chainsaws? Like suddenly, out of the blue. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then Xander gets Giles out. And <laughs> I love that where Giles thinks that it's another vision. And yeah. Xander, why but would they make really you see, see you. me? That Yeah, why would they make you see me? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Good, Let's go. Good, good point. <laughs> um, and then we see Giles with his couple of bandaged fingers at the end there. So, yeah. not we Like, we don't really know the extent to which, like, Giles is able to walk out with help from Xander. Right. I'm imagining some sort of bamboo torture or something. Yeah, like, or, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know, or some finger breaking, maybe, but... Right, maybe. Um, or at least dislocating or something, but yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but clearly, like, each time we see him, it's, like, he looks worse oh, and worse. Oh, he's looked worse yeah. and worse. So yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, there's definitely some stuff going on. And, and there's a period of time. Like, we know, you know... Yeah, uh, that hours, hours have gone by. And... Like it's not just yeah. a few things. Um, the last bit of torture there, making out with Drusilla. Um, I don't know if that's the best <laughs> or like the worst part of the. She torture. was <laughs> in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drew certainly seemed to be enjoying that part of the torture. She had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, well, yeah, and so maybe let's just talk about her real quick. We, man, wow, we need to like no, sort of wrap we up need to book it. um yeah i mean she doesn't have a lot to do with but but i think so one yes that's kind of funny and and interesting that like you know we talked about uh the sort of triangle but you get the sense that drew's just sort of up for anything like sure yeah. you know, in the way that yeah like spikes up for anything like violence wise but he's pretty dedicated when it comes to drew in a romantic sense drew right kind of is a hoe <laughs> you know like you know like when buffy says yeah. you know why should i yeah. care that your girlfriend's a big hoe well she kind of is and and yeah. and she just seems to be uh yeah really okay with um whatever may present itself in the way of a you know a, a encounter of sorts um right. it's true yeah anyway so the, um, the but but more interestingly is when uh when spike takes a you know poking iron to right is that it or is it a golf club or something that he picks up it's, yeah, it's like a yeah, fire yeah, yeah. iron yeah. i thought right yeah uh-huh. um, yeah i think so he uh when he takes a an iron to uh uh angel there drew attacks spike yeah and 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 not only just pushes him away but keeps on fighting like they're right. in the background having a battle while buffy is fighting angel yeah so 
Um, so she's sticking up for, she's down with Angel's plan, or or at least maybe at this point more loyal to Angel than she is to Spike, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and and I guess that's what I wanted to point out is like I'm not, because I'm not sure. I'm not. I, I don't know. Right. Having seen this how many times, I'm not really sure. Is she? Is she defending Angel, or is it that she wants to see the apocalypse come? Like, is she? And and it's hard to know with Drew because she never speaks straight <laughs> you know yeah. like is, does she even know? yeah she yeah. may not even really know but she yeah she seems certainly more okay with the process of the apocalypse happening than spike yeah. does like she right she doesn't seem as concerned about the um no i think i don't see drusilla as prosaic in the way that spike i don't think i don't see drew necessarily being getting settled and comfortable and wanting to, I think Drew is more the kind of to to revel in her own twisted you know state mm. and she can do that happily in hell and happily on earth and wherever she's just you know more self-sufficient in that I think she needs less stimulus around her for sort of comfort that she would sort of happily go on and destroy lives wherever and sort of, you know, I don't know that that means that, I mean, it may be that she's defending Angel more than caring so much about the apocalypse, but maybe she doesn't care so much either way that she just wants to sort of enjoy her own evil yeah, uh, yeah. or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and it, it is ambiguous there. We're not entirely sure yeah. of her motivation other than, she attacked Spike and apparently wanted the apocalypse to happen and didn't. Mm -hmm. So Spike puts a sleeper hold on her. And and th again, that'll be interesting to see, which I assume we will at some point, her reaction to what Spike did. That Does she wake up and, you know, okay, not care on to the next thing? You know, what's the difference? Or will she wake up and actually be, you know, feel anger for, you know towards spike for what he did i'm not mm. sure because again and it's like i can't predict that because she's unpredictable yeah. <laughs> so you're not sure how she might react to something like that um yeah no you're not sure <laughs> so i hope we get to see something of where you know where their relationship goes from that point because she's really interesting <laughs> mm. um yeah yeah anyway uh, and I did just want to point out. So when I first saw that chokehold thing, I was like, yeah, but vampires don't breathe. Um, okay. so yeah. there is a sort of canonical explanation in that. Okay. So we get multiple times, right? In school hard, uh, angel goes in to save, uh, right. Is it school hard where he goes in to save them because there's like gas leaking or something, um, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and then, um, also in prophecy girl, we get, uh, the fact that he can't revive Buffy, uh, because he right. has no, he doesn't breath. have any, he doesn't have any breath. So, right. um, the canonical explanation here is, is that Spike performs a sleeper hold, which doesn't cut off the airway, but actually cuts off the blood flow to the brain. Um, and mm. that's what renders Drew unconscious. Now, my question though is. Why does 
cutting off blood flow to the brain put you unconscious? Well, it's because the brain isn't getting enough oxygen. And of course you get oxygen by breathing. So I'm still not sure that medically that explanation works, but (laughs) however, however vampire brains work, the assumption is that the blood flow, that somehow blood flow uh, is part of it, and that by cutting off that blood flow is how, you know, Spike is able to render Drew unconscious. So, take that for what you will. That's the story they're sticking with. Um, All right. Anyway, gosh, uh, we got to at least talk about Willow. Um, yeah. And then, and well, we got to talk about Xander at least a little too, probably. Yeah, yeah um, we do. But so Willow, uh, head trauma. But yeah. she seems to be okay. She knows her name, who's president, and how many fingers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her brain doesn't appear to be mushed. No, but her head feels big, which <laughs> is appropriate for she's the mind after all. I think she does have... <laughs> I didn't even think of that. But sure, sure. Uh, uh, and yeah, darn it, Willow. As soon as she started talking about doing the ritual, that's she. I knew it. I was like, oh no, this is not going to be good. And she's just trying to help. Although, so, well, no, I'm going to save that for Xander. So, I guess, I mean, the thing to talk about with Willow is whatever this thing is that she feels pass through her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's interesting. Is that, you know, is that... Uh, uh, is that a something or a someone controlling her? Or is that her tapping into a magic that she already has and didn't necessarily know about before? Is this a result of her studies? Is You know, mm. what exactly happened there? We obviously don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Um and I remember Giles talking about opening doors that, that you don't know where they're opening, what they're opening to. Mm. So that's a really interesting, and that was a really creepy sort of moment mm-hmm. with her yeah. in the bed there. Yeah. Kind of an exorcist sort of vibe with her right. and her like hospital gown her and back everything. And throws yeah. her head yeah. back and all that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no. Yeah, those are all good questions. Like it's it's not clear exactly what happened, but something happened to yeah. where she had the power, um, which we never got to that point, right? In the first time that she tried the ritual, no. like they were no. interrupted, so we didn't. So we don't know. Is that just part of the ritual? Even like, right. or is there sure, or is there something deeper going on? Um, right, as part right. of it. Right. Yeah good question but yeah so i you know but she seems to be okay at the end there and Mm -hmm. um we'll we'll see where that goes okay um but xander Xander. what was so what are your thoughts on xander i feel i feel torn because on the one hand i think you could make an argument that I mean, clearly Xander lies to Buffy that he's supposed to tell her at the end. Yeah. Yes. Or that when he's they're supposed on the to way. Tell, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's supposed to tell her what they're doing and he doesn't, you know, he makes a decision to keep that from Buffy. So on the one hand, I feel like you could mount a convincing argument that 
that's actually for the best. That maybe Buffy knowing Angel had his soul would have taken away her ability to do what she had to do. Right? Or that, that even it's a time thing that it would have taken too long to explain all that and they just needed to some, get, yeah. you know. So, yeah, so so I think there there's an argument to be made that that good comes out of bad, right? That like there is a there's a an unintended good effect of the lie, but I don't know that that justifies the lie itself. And Xander is still in my bad books for yeah. his uh yeah. So again, not I'm not saying that I I, I think I think it would be reasonable to say that it ended up being for the best that he didn't tell her what was going on, but he, this is, this is the, the soul of the person that she loves we're talking about here. And he's not showing his best colors when he fools around with that, you know, that when you take things which are important to your friend and willfully withhold them, Mm. that doesn't that's not a great look i think so you know unintended benefits aside i don't know that i'm pleased at his you know at his actions and and i think his motivation doesn't necessarily justify anything because i think his motivations are still selfish well and kind of like we were talking about so that would be my take we don't necessarily know what Xander's motivations are. What his, right. Cause we don't so, get, yeah, he doesn't consult with anybody. Um, yeah. But I think you're right that any way you spin it, it's kind of dubious. You know, there, mm. there, there isn't that the lie itself is sort of bad, regardless of, of why he might be lying. Um, and yeah. So let me ask you this. So do you think that Xander's still coming from a jealousy place or do you think and and it, and it may be a similar sort of answer like it may not matter, mm-hmm. but do you think do you think he's still jealous um of Buffy's relationship with Angel or at least at that point her former relationship with Angel and her and the fact that she care and envious of the fact that she cares for him or do you think mm-hmm. that he that he is uh, a little more genuinely of the, we just need to kill this guy to stop the apocalypse at this point. Like it does. Like I think I think the latter. I think yeah. yeah. I don't think it's just oh Buffy loves him so I'm gonna make sure he gets killed off. Like I, but I think Xander um, has a, a bias against Angel, sure. which he is unwilling to look beyond Mm -hmm. and i think he has maybe a a, an unnuanced view of good and evil that he maybe he's right in that angel does need to be killed and buffy is and again i think that's why there's an unintended benefit to the lie because buffy does need to kill him and maybe it's better that she doesn't know that going in Mm -hmm. but um but i think xander is unwilling to concede the humanity in angel which you know and so his his point of view is you know i know what we need to do and and because i know it it must be right and i'm going to make sure it happens yeah so which that would be and 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 there may be an 
there may be an element of of jealousy in there. Maybe the bias is because of the jealousy, you know, that might all be mixed in there. But yeah. Well, and you brought up the mind with Willow. So, you know, is that a body part for, for Xander? It's it's his gut feeling, so to speak. His impulse, yeah. yeah you yeah. know, it's it, he's not necessarily thinking about it. But, but, I mean, we get another tender moment in a hospital between him and Cordy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, of course. And between Willow. Uh, well, yeah. I was going to say then with what he says to Willow. But I, I was going to say specifically with the relationship aspect of him and Cordy. Like, they... They still have their tiffs. We saw even in the last episode, like they still niggle at each other and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, go back back and forth. But like this is like, I want to give Cordy a lot of credit here for her. You know, do you want coffee? I'll get you some like so that you can stay here with another woman in the hospital. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's yeah. like but she knows like she seems to sense at that point that Xander is hers. You know what I mean? Like. And of course, it's Willow, not Buffy, so that might make a difference too. Right. But definitely a different sense than in in you know uh, the episode there with Dirk Hinderstad. Uh, the, oh, the, uh, I, yeah, I yeah. When when Buffy, I know when in the hospital. When Buffy was in the hospital, right? And and she kind of brings him donuts and coffee and sits down next to him and is like, all right, well, I'm here cause you're here and I'll yeah. sit with you. But there it's more like, I'll go get you something. I'll leave you alone. Like I'll do whatever you need me to do, you know, to yeah. help you get through this kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. but I think that points to their relationship. So it, it is kind of funny to me. Cause like, I don't, I like, I don't have a good read of Xander at this point, but it, but I think right. you're right. Like I, I don't feel it being, as much of a jealousy aspect. And there's also the moment where he hugs Buffy, right. To kind of hide her from the security guard or the cop or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Buffy kind of makes a joke about, it. Oh, well, that was part yeah. to cop a feel. Right. And what, and he like, but he's completely earnest at that point. Like it's not, yeah. it's totally not. Um, right. Right. And Buffy's almost more scared by that fact that it's not, right. you know right. what I mean? Like, right. What's wrong. Yeah. 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 Like there's something going on here when you're not admitting that, you want me, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, right. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, that just, I, I was curious to get your thoughts on that because I, I feel that there's definitely, we've passed some sort of mark there, but I don't yeah. know that I could put an exact point on it. Um, it just feels like at this point we are, we are there. Like it, it is sort of beyond that jealous moment. Um, yeah, no. And I think, I think, from what we talked about last time, you were kind of getting at that, that it's not just his own, you know, it's, it's, he might have legitimate concerns beyond his own selfish desires. Yeah. And I think that's, you're right in that. But so I think his, his issues now are, are in a slightly different, you know, yeah. we can't say they're limited to just. Not that you have to agree with it because of his reasoning. <laughs> Um, or whatever he right. may be feeling. It's, right. It just does seem like it's a different aspect. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Well, I'll be interested to hear... <laughs> I was going to say if, probably when this comes out, you know, you know with Xander, eventually someone's going to find out that he knew about this and didn't say anything to Buffy, I think. Um, that that's only a matter of time. So I'll be interesting to I'll be interested to hear what kind of defense he mounts or if we get any more 
explanation from him as to what his motivations might have been. Um, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. And then on, well, and so to. Oh my gosh, we're so way over I know, time. We are. It's not even I know. funny. It's whatever. But I, I just, I, we, I mean, we mentioned the moment that he has and his, his little conversation, not conversation. Cause it's just him talking, but his, what he says to Willow, um, while she's still under the influence, I was just trying to find it in my notes here and I can't find it. Um, but the, like here, this is the admission, right? The, the, I love you moment that mm. he has the, um, and it, it feels to me that mm-hmm. he's almost realizing it as mm-hmm. he's saying it, right? It doesn't feel it, like this is just him talking, right? Come on, Will. Like, you don't have a choice. You got to wake up. I need you. I mean, how am I going to pass Trig? Haha, <laughs> you know, okay, funny joke. Uh, yeah. You know, who, but then it gets a little more serious, right? Who am I going to call every night and talk about everything we did all day? And, like, you hear that and you're like, you don't feel like that's uh, an, an exaggeration. Like you feel like they do probably talk to each other every night. Right. Um, still now, even though they both have significant others and, mm-hmm. um, and then he says, you're my best friend. You've always, I love you. Like, and you don't know what he was going to say. You've always, what, what have you always yeah. like, but I don't know. It's just, I like that. I like that moment. Cause it's, it is kind of him because of that because he's cutting himself off, it is that sort of self-revelatory moment. Right. Um, right. And, and right. Yeah. Let, let me stop whatever I was going to say and say what I really want to say. Right. Right. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't want to make too much out of that, but I think, I think that's a nice moment. And then to have her say Oz (laughs) right after that, it just kind of, like you feel you never see what's right in front of you do you yeah you're just kind of crap yeah but you know i think i don't think the i love you there is a romantic one i don't think so either um, i don't think so either. you know i think it's it goes along with the you're my best friend and i think that's yeah. but even that much before would have been hard for him to admit and you almost get the sense that even had he said it in a friendship sort of platonic way before yeah that that he that willow may not have taken that quite the right way either you know what i mean like that she might have thought that was more romantic than he was intending it to be or kind of thing so right a nice moment that almost had to have had her be unconscious to hear it (laughs) right yeah probably if that makes any sense um yeah so all right yeah oh well and oz is oz so yeah, Oz missed it, and he knows he missed the last like five episodes. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he has no. He's, like, he's just trying to catch this up. This is making the kind of sense that doesn't. <coughs> so yeah, no, he's yeah. he's he, Oz is Oz, but we have gone way over our time. Way like so far over. Uh, so so jumping in to Doctor Who, yeah, um, and that my friends is okay. all we have to say about that. Uh, yeah. Doctor Who. So um. Hmm. We're going to start with Martha, I guess. Okay. Uh, because, well, we get, at, well, I'm going to say the Joneses. We're going to start with the Joneses. We're going to try to keep mm. up with them. Um, the, so Martha, uh, right off the bat, uh, 
you know, we're, we're starting and we don't know where we are. And well, until, until the doctor says there's no place like it. And then you're like, Oh, he brought her home. But, um, interesting. So we, so he brings her home and she's kind of disappointed. He tells her it's the end of the line and she's understandably upset about that. Like it's, you know, one trip. Yeah. I suppose things just kind of escalated. Okay. Um, that's it really like <laughs> you're just gonna yeah. drop me off here and leave me here um couple a couple minor things one it's about 12 hours later which is what he said to rose and right. we learned yeah. that yeah. it was rose actually was 12, 12 hours 12 months later um yeah but no it appears that he he timed it right this time and it really is just the next morning um and then uh she gets a call from her mother who says her sister's on TV and the doctor sees Lazarus standing there making his grand proclamation that he's going to change what it means to be human. And the doctor can't let it go. I mean, he tries to, he does leave and then he comes right back and it's like, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. I can't just leave that alone. So, um, it seems even now things are escalating, right? Like it's like, yeah, all I did was all I was going to do was just drop you off and go, but nope, I can't just do that. I have to stay and see what this is all about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that about Martha that, you know, she is disappointed and, and she looks, she looks bummed, you know, but she doesn't. She, there's no pleading kind of, that goes on. There's no pleading. It's kind of like, Oh, okay and then she like sincerely thanks him for a nice time and you know it was fun and you know you know she is disappointed but she would just sort of accept it It you know that she is sort of we had a couple good dates selfless in that way for each other so yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know i mean yeah i guess i guess i see what you're saying there and you're right she does sort of act that way um but you know it doesn't matter because he stays. He comes back anyway. He does, and, yeah. Uh, and so they end up going to this uh, event, right? And mm-hmm. so we talked about Martha and her family before, right? So mm-hmm. obviously she has a bigger family than Rose. Uh, Rose just had her mother, right? And then there was yeah. Mickey, the boyfriend. But um, Martha doesn't have a boyfriend, but she has a lot more family. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. And we see three of them right here, uh, yeah. just in this episode. Um, I think we get a lot of dialogue which sort of supports something which we had speculated on in Smith and Jones, which was that Martha's uh, work and family have sort of drained dry, you know, her ability to have a life beyond those mm. things. That all the... All the it's horrible. All the things that that Tish and her mom say indicate that you know it's things like oh you can pretend you're out if you want, but I really know you're not. Or you know or oh you brought someone to the party. You know clearly that's unexpected and you know right. and oh he's with he's you. With you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that this isn't what normally happens when when you know or you know. Oh, you went out two nights in a row. You know, call all the tabloids. You know, somebody's <laughs> going to be in the gossip column. That all the jokes are about 
Martha, the, the stay at home, how much of a hard life worker she does yeah. not have. And so yeah. again, it's it's <clears throat> just sort of confirming, you know, what something we'd ex- we suspected, but I think this is sort of confirmation of that fact a little bit. Well, and and it's, I mean, and those are kind of ironic in a not so funny way um, statements because, like you said, it's. It's because of her job, yes, partly, but also because her family is such a of it's a because you all draining suck everything influence. Like we saw, yeah. we saw how much it took for her to, um, uh, you know, what's the word? Like, uh, uh, well, she's constantly mediate she's, almost between them. Yeah, she's got them calling her twenty four seven, and then they make fun of her for for not having a life, you know? So it is, it is ironic and, you know, and not funny at all, actually. Yeah. Um, Well, and, and like, even, even Leo sort of backhandedly tries to like say, well, maybe she found a guy like, yeah, surprising as it may be, maybe she did. Maybe she, maybe this is a nice guy, (laughs) you know, like, um, you know, yeah. So, um, and and even when they get there, right? Uh, the implication from Tish is, oh, he's a science geek. I should have known. Right. Like, this is like, this is clearly only, Martha's type. The only guy you <laughs> yeah. could get is someone who who would go out with you because he's so interested in the science stuff that's going on here, not for the social aspect of it or or whatever yeah. else that Tish yeah. might be more as a as a PR person that she might be more interested in. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So it's. <laughs> Her family is is something else, certainly, and I'm sure you know there are many are. families like that in in their own way. Um, right. Well, and and I mean, you t- the, with with the mom, which I think we talked about. I, I don't know at what point they established that her name is Francine. So just for the purposes of discussion, okay. Um, we can call her Francine. Yeah, all, all my notes. All my notes just say Mrs. Jones because I couldn't. So, I couldn't remember, and I didn't hear it in this episode. I couldn't remember if they gave her a name previously. Okay. But. Well, what takes it a step further for her is that not only is you know is this something to be mocked, you know, but also she seems actively controlling over Martha's, you know, life. That you know, maybe the reason Martha doesn't have this is because Francine has sort of stifled that because, you know, you get this idea that, uh, you know, she kind of, before mysterious tuxedoed people even start whispering in her ear, <laughs> she's against the doctor. That yeah. This is it's just, like, who is this just guy? Because he's, he's a guy and that's something to be, you know, uh, sort of squashed before it's even gotten off the ground. Well, yeah, so just even like that, you you disappeared last night, just went home on your own, and she kind of looks suspiciously looks at, at the, the doctor. doctor yeah. But it's like, okay, you and know, he, you know he, you're sitting here saying, sort of criticizing her for not having a life, but then when she ostensibly has a life, you're all over yeah. her, you know, or, or even when you suspect she might have a life, you're all over her for having one, you know, so it's like, right. which isn't even, I mean... Obviously, she can't tell her what she really has been doing, which has been traveling around with Guy for at least days, if not weeks. Like, we, yeah, don't, yeah. we don't know how long exactly they were in the TARDIS, but it certainly has been at least a couple of days, right? Um, yeah. 
so it's yeah it's that i don't know it, i don't like the mom too much i don't like francine too much um no the no she is kind of fr- and the doctor doesn't help by saying they've been up to stuff <laughs> yeah know? well he, you just I mean, know what she thinks that is you know and and he does the oh you know I've heard so much about you. Oh, really? What have you heard about me? <laughs> what exactly? Never, never the good, uh, never good to open that door. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, uh, just that you're Martha's mom. Yeah. We actually haven't done much we, talking. We've been busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, she's annoyingly meddlesome uh, in, yeah, in Martha's private life. Um, the... Uh, and then, of course, that's exacerbated. Like you mentioned, you mentioned the guys in tuxedos whispering things in her ear. Mm. This guy, who I guess we later learn is Harold Saxon, whose name has dropped a few times, um, or at least a couple times, uh, tells her that Martha should pick her friends more carefully. Um, okay, well, let me clarify. The guy who whispers to her is not Harold Saxon. Oh, it's not. Just so you know, it's not. No. Oh, okay. I thought. Um, I thought that was who we were meant to think that was. She says at the end that that the information comes from Harold Saxon. Oh, but, okay. But, but that's the, not the, him. That guy whispering. is not him. Oh. And maybe that's not clear, but I will no, clarify well, that I for mean, you. We, right, and I was making that connection because we see the guy whispering yeah. in her ear. Um, and we see him saying to her, you know, she should yeah. pick her friends more carefully about the doctor um yeah. and then we get we get miss francine <laughs> at the end saying you know yes this comes from harold Saxon. Yeah. so yeah okay. yeah um, um i i took that to mean that the person that telling guy, her right was harold Saxon. so that's not him. no and he's he's on he's saying these things on behalf on his, of so harold he's Saxon. some yeah some he's a mysterious man who we never see again. So oh, okay, but uh, but he's presumably some kind of attendant or or yes, yeah. hired yeah. person. Yes. Um, um. Because the other thing we, well, I mean, we might as well just finish up with Harold Saxon. The the other thing that we hear about him in this episode is that he has been funding the right, which um, is the experiment, which is why I think that made sense to me was that like he would be he there would be at the party a, right as someone who was yeah. a funder, um, right. And that does make sense. But anyway, but I don't. But that's not. I don't want you whether to, he's at I don't the party you, or not. That's not him. right. I don't want you to think that we've seen him when we haven't. Okay, so I gotcha. Um, um, but yeah, just going back to Francine, like she, she's also kind of selfish. I mean, like beyond just the the interference with someone else, you know, with her daughter's life, she mm-hmm. she's also like she's. Well, she turned her back on us. You know, she went in there with that right. thing, and it's like, well, okay. And then she doesn't want Tish to leave when Tish is going to run out. Yeah. Of it. It's like, yeah, you are controlling, and you're also put off by the fact that like your daughters want to do things you don't want them to do, and, or or that they're being really brave and really, right. you know, that they're doing, you know, not not appreciating that they're you know, helping people get out of an emergency or, or wanting to sort of, you know, be, uh, you know, take action or, or save lives or anything that, that they're, that that's a, it's wrong for them to help other people if it means leaving her, Yeah, you know? Right. Right. Um, 
Yeah. So, well, and we know that Mr. Jones is not in the picture with her anymore. He's got, he's got his own. And, you know, that may be on him too, but we can certainly understand why he might not want to be around anymore. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a two way street. (laughs) Um, I think. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure he has his flaws as well and we may see some of them down the road, but anyway, um, yeah, so I don't know, and 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 I think part of that is it's interesting to me that she that she is willing to just accept this unknown man in a you know tuxedo who apparently at least claims to be representing Harold Saxon uh, right. over her own daughter daughters right, um, right. yeah uh, and and that. You know, it's interesting, and I didn't even think of this before, but just even with our conversation about Joyce, like, she seems to be yeah. taking the information and fitting it into her own worldview, whatever that is. I mean, we don't get a lot of what her worldview might be, but certainly she takes it and, and uses <laughs> it as an excuse to uh, try to keep a hold of her daughters um, in the same way that Joyce, upon learning information, tries to... I think less manipulatively and more scaredly, uh, you know, tries to hold on to Buffy. But anyway, yeah. we're done talking yeah. about Buffy. <laughs> no, that is that is a really strong parallel, actually. Um, so, yeah. So, I, you know, I mean, that that's most, I think, of what we get from Francine is just those moments of incredulity when she's, you know, finding out that. Martha actually has a date, but then also the <laughs> inability to, uh, well, I was going to say inability to allow, but Martha doesn't stop and neither does Tish. So it's sort of the attempt to control their, yeah. you, you know, her daughters. Um, although I guess Leo seems pretty much the, uh, the, the whipped boy. He, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, 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 he sticks right by his mama's side. Although in his, in his defense, he is, concussed at the time so it's yes, not he like it's not like he's going to go running off and fighting a big monster well and he's trying to deflect some of the blame from martha and put it on tish so he's a, dude, yeah. a dutiful younger brother that's right that's right he, yeah well it was tish who invited everyone here i'd say it's her fault technically yeah um <laughs> that is a pretty funny moment and yes a typical yeah. sort of sibling um, little brother and I, yeah i can't remember and of course you kind of get the impression I imagine that I don't know why, but I imagine that Tish is the middle child. That Martha's I, I was just, the oldest. I was just gonna um, ask what the yeah. what the order was, and I couldn't remember if I asked before, but I think I don't we know had... that we know that for sure. But okay, I, I mean, I think in the previous episode in in Smith and Jones, not just the last one, but in Smith and Jones yeah. when we saw them, I think I had suspected up front that that Martha was the eldest. Yeah. Um, and I think, and we know that Leo is just, was just, it was his birthday party right. and he was like just turning 21 and that the impression was that, I mean, Tish having a professional job at this point seems to be somewhere in between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think their and, behavior, and, and their presumably behavior Tish's of... first professional job, because we, right. we understand that she's not entirely qualified, but that she has the right assets or the right, yeah. uh, Attributes. attributes that's what it was yeah or assets or whatever <laughs> whatever right. whatever the interview whatever panel they was might looking be at yeah when uh yeah. The, when they determine no that. you you definitely get uh that 
uh, I wouldn't even say impression. I think they make it very clear that she, she's not only, you know, maybe not qualified for the job. She's head of the department. Right. So she is quite yeah. unqualified for this job. Right, um, right. And for some reason, the hiring committees looked past that, um, which is kind of interesting. And I think the, the, uh, sibling order seems to kind of be verified by their personalities too. Mm. You know, that you, you get that sense that Martha is the mature one that she does. Like she's even looking out for Tish. Like, even though Tish is following to help her, you know, do whatever, like, you know, draw Lazarus off or whatever. You've got Martha pushing Tish behind her that she's, she's responsible care of her. Yeah. Almost to a and, fault. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and Tish is more your yeah. kind of, Typical middle child who's, you know, kind of stuck between the older and the younger, um, you know, so she's getting her little brother making fun of her and, you know, but maybe not quite as hyper responsible and uh, and capable as her older sister. So. Well, and she seems more interested in the glitz and the glamour, right? She definitely is. Um, yeah. Which is the only thing that justifies her hitting on Lazarus I, like at all. all right. Not to not to not to I don't want to say harsh words against Mr. Mark Gatiss, but you kind of think if he came out of that capsule looking like Brad Pitt, you might understand Tish's, you know, uh advances a little bit more. But I think we can only put it down towards her interest in things like money and eternal youth and and you know, and success and, yeah. and success and all those sorts of things. So, you know, we can, I guess we could judge Tish for that. So, <laughs> well, it, you know, all right, let's talk about Tish because which we already have, I, she does a complete 180 degree turn. And yes, I realize that he looks like he's dropped 40 to 50 years worth of, you know, age from his mm-hmm. face and body and all that but yeah i don't like that to me he, right he's still 20 not... he's still 20 years her her elder and she still knows that he's 80 and everything or whatever he is yeah like i i just right it's that it's that not like he he's still that age and it's like what what really yeah like i don't know i yeah I don't get why she would want to go with him when she was so creeped out by him before. Um, yeah. But then again, I've never, right. I've, and he was I've clearly, never pretended that I understand women. So, I mean, you and know, he that's, was clearly such a, a lecherous kind of yeah. creepy old man before. Right. So. Right. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, what kind of guy he is already yeah. like changing in age will, or, or appearance really, because you haven't changed his age. Right. Technically, right. you know, changing the appearance it seems like it would only exacerbate that rather mm-hmm. than than alleviate it or or even excuse it to any sort of degree. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. It's it it seems very strange that sort of. But, you know, I, I guess that's what she does. So are we meant to look at Tish as being really that fickle? Like, is that the implication? I... I guess so. I mean, we're going to get more. We are going to get more with Tish. I can't claim that we're ever going to get to know her as well as we get to know 
Martha or Rose or sure, something. So sure. so I'm not sure that we'll ever really understand her well enough to, you know, to, you know, mount a really great defense of her actions. You know, it it would seem to suggest that she's fairly shallow and, yes, probably pretty fickle. Yeah. So that's about, you know, but, but, yeah. But also loyal to Martha, and also brave in a pinch, you know. So she's not without. Yeah, no, no. You know I, these good. So and, you know, and people I can don't, have, and I don't know. Yeah, conflicting or or yeah, you know, not even conflicting, but complex attributes. So I don't mean to imply. Yeah. But but that's the that's the it's strange to me. It is no, it is very um, strange, and 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 I as. As a woman, I don't under understand it, so I can't really. Yeah, I'm sitting there at home, going, "Really, really, Tish? I don't, I don't think so." So, yeah. Um, I mean, and again, which is why I think maybe if they had cast someone who was sort of, you know, an Adonis figure, you know, like maybe you could kind of understand if he was like, you know, a a supermodel you might or something but you know not that that would make it any less icky mm. but you might understand her willingness a little bit more but but they didn't so yeah. maybe she is just really maybe her pressure you know and and I know moms like this who pressure their kids in different ways maybe Martha's pressure is to not focus on guys and to have a career as a doctor. Maybe Tish's pressure is to find a rich husband. Could be. You know, could be. You, know you get out there and that's what you're going to do and go find yourself. You know, maybe, maybe she's not ever going to be, you know, the successful surgeon. So she's got to find other ways of. She has other attributes. You know, you know so. <laughs> We can we could speculate that that's part of the part of the pressure that the Jones kids are living under, mm. um, which could maybe help. But I don't. We don't ever find that out for sure. So okay, that's just speculative. Well, you're right though to point out that she is at least loyal and she is, uh, in her own way, brave and. Uh, does end up helping her sister in the end to, mm -hmm. you know, both of them to the mutual, mutually to the chagrin of their mother. So, yes. um, very interesting. Right. Right. They're, they're a little more loyal to each other than they are to mm -hmm. Mrs. Jones. They sort of stick together. Yeah. Um, whereas Leo's still mama's boy. Uh, well, and again, <laughs> well, again with the caveat, Leo is concussed. <laughs> with the caveat that he is injured to some degree, and and right, and, and, and he's actually there sitting. Is... Maybe he's saying, maybe maybe she really loves this guy. You know, he's kind of defending her a little yeah. bit, like, well, hey, maybe she's actually found someone and, special. And I was gonna, I was gonna say too, he is still follow, he's following Martha's orders by not going anywhere because Martha yeah. looks at him and says, "You are concussed. Like you yes. have a concussion, and you need to take care of that. Hold this ice, you know." This yeah. will help the swallowing kind of thing. So even in a way, like <laughs> I, I'm sort of jokingly saying he's mama's boy, but in a way he also is the one like the mother isn't the one saying, 
don't go running off to Leo or, you know, stay by me or whatever. Yeah. It's Martha who does. It's Martha who takes care of him and yeah. tells him what to do to, to help his medical situation at the moment. So, um, so I guess you could look at it that way too. Like even he is, you know, acting loyally by not acting, so to speak. <laughs> right, right, right. He's more on their side that, um, yeah, the, the kids are all sort of a unit together. Anyway, you, you could look at it. I, I don't think I don't know that we get enough about Leo to really make a complete determination either. But um, no, I don't think so. But I think that's one way you could read it. Um, but on to the doctor. So yeah. uh, he does bring Tish home and by all intents and purposes seems like Martha or Martha. Yeah. No, man. Now yeah. I'm getting all the siblings. <laughs> he brings Martha home. And yes. and by all for all intents and purposes, he seems to be willing to leave her there and just go on his marry. Um, Until, until he gets that glimmer of an escalation. So I guess my one question there would be is, because he kind of sticks around a long time. He doesn't need to Mm -hmm. stick around to hear the telephone ring. He doesn't need to stick around to see the TV get turned on. He doesn't need to stand there and watch what's going on on TV or to hear, uh, Mar- the voicemail Martha's and, explanation yeah, and yeah. stuff or to yeah. poke around her apartment and see her underwear hanging on the um, yeah. so yes things tend to escalate but do you think maybe he was hanging around hoping that things might escalate a bit right or is he or is he like, waiting for the protests of right or no no don't don't send me home oh okay trip, fine i'll take know? you on one more but that's the last right. one right like right. like you know yeah maybe you almost get the sense that he could have just said goodbye and walked in and left but yeah he, he yeah. sticks around he sticks around he sticks around yeah and then he's like, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to go now. And then he comes right back and is like, oh, I can't just go. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I don't know. Like, I, did you get that impression at all? Or Yeah, was that... no, I think that's a that's a fair reading. Um, okay. All right. So that wasn't just me like. No, uh, I don't think so. Okay. No, because I think, I think, look, if he, the, I think the doctor is perfectly un, under control of who he takes in the TARDIS. Right. We've seen him kick people out before. We've seen him, you know, decide who to invite and not. So and I we've think seen him change his mind he, on those Yeah, aspects. and I think if he's ready for Martha to be gone, she'd be gone. You know, that that would be... Right, he would, of, have, and, he would have dropped her off and just left. And just left. And if he wanted to go investigate, he doesn't need her to go... I mean, yeah, she gets him into the party, but really, like... He could have. I don't he, think... I mean, he, he had his own pass. Yeah. He could have used psychic paper. Yeah, like, like, he doesn't actually need her to go find an adventure or an investigation. You know, it. I think that sort of makes sense, that he is sort of taking his time with the goodbye. and And, yeah, she goes along because... He lets it escalate to the point that they decide, well, let's just keep going, you know. Um, so. Well, and yeah. then, and then, of course, at the end, you get the, oh, well, you were never just a, a one, one trick pony anyway. Yeah. Whatever. I yeah. forget the exact phrase he uses there, but. Um, uh, like she was never just a passenger. Just a passenger, or like right? That. Yeah. yeah, one trick pony. I, I don't know why that phrase <laughs> popped into mind, but. Um, 
Yeah. So okay. So they. So okay. So they. Right. So we're past the point where we're pretending that this is just uh, any sort of thank you or or a casual thing right. that that she's invited on for reals this time. So <laughs> for real. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like you've already been to what like four or five places. Right, right. Yeah. Plus the plus the initial adventure they had, you yeah, know, when yeah. when um when he was in London before. But the okay, so all right, so all that being said, they go to this uh <coughs> you know, uh reception or whatever at this black tie event. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh um at the mention of James Bond. Uh uh-huh. just because it totally brought up to mind rose uh rose's concerns about the doctor being a little more spock like right. like like this is yeah. but it's but again like even like it but it's not quite the same right this is her this is martha complimenting the doctor on how much like james bond who has the sort of glitz right. and glamour and the technical uh, uh gadgets and stuff that that you would expect with <laughs> someone like that whereas Rose's complaint was that the doctor wasn't like that. So like, like this is, it's kind of funny, like a different, you know, again, it's like a, a similar, but not quite the same perspective that you're getting. Um, I wouldn't say it's quite the opposite though, either. Cause I think Rose does eventually see the Spockness of the Mm -hmm. doctor, but like it's, it's in how you look at it. Right. It's, it's, it's a different perspective for Martha to say, yeah, you look kind of like James Bond here. And we get the, um, yeah, I mean, you get him in a black tux and you get kind of the. Right. Um, With matching black converse, of course. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, and yeah. So I don't know. I, I liked that, um, that sort of thing. And I, and I did think it kind of was not quite paralleling, but, you know, a, a sort of a hint back to that idea of, you know, someone. Yeah, who, no, I hadn't really made that connection, but now that you say that, that's right. Um, and he takes the, uh, the science geek aspect as a, as, as a, a compliment. compliment. He's, yeah, like, yeah. he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's what she means. Well, yes, in <laughs> fact, that's quite accurate. Um, yeah. How nice of her. How nice of her. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, someone who was a geek would take that as a compliment, even when yeah. it's being said as not a compliment. So, like, it, it's just funny. It's like very that felt very right. True and to I life. like Martha's. <laughs> I like Martha's her kind of nice explanation of what a science geek is. It's not. It has nothing to do with like she doesn't spin it as it because Martha's probably a geek too. You know, yeah, she's, at least somewhat. She's a science yeah. person. You know, so she doesn't say, "Oh, it means." probably what Tish means by it is like socially awkward or whatever, but like what Martha and the doctor take it is they're obsessively enthusiastic that that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good to like stuff mm-hmm. and to know a lot yeah. about stuff and to get excited about things. And, you know, which describes the doctor right to a T excessively, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. Enthusiastic. enthusiastic. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, I, I like that that he sort of just takes that he owns that uh, description. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, and then you know there's the various sonic bits that he does. He, he of course the big machine that this guy built is a sonic something or other. You know. Yeah. Uses sonic waves and uh, 
he has to go up to it and fix that. But I, more than that, I liked that he uses his sonic screwdriver at the end to turn the organ up to 11 <laughs> or, or yeah. to 111, as it were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, right, but he says 11, so you know. Oh, yeah, no, it's a total. A spinal tap. Yeah, reference. it's a total yeah. reference. And, 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 and it's that, you know, it's that little extra boost. <laughs> is what yeah gets, when you when you need the push over the cliff yeah, it, yeah is what gets the the monster in the end it's um yeah you know similar to like uh in the christmas episode where he says you know never leave someone with a sonic weapon near the you know dj near the sound, near system, the sound yeah. system yeah um <laughs> but anyway um there's also that moment too i, I don't know maybe this is me reading too much into it I don't think though it's too much but so when they're being chased by the monster and they run into the machine and they're mm-hmm. very close quarters mm-hmm. yeah very you know james like he's fumbling around for his sonic screwdriver and she's like <laughs> yeah. what are you yeah. doing you know? what are you doing down there? And, yeah no and, there is a well especially because she's sort of got this crush too that, right. that there's sexual tension yeah, in that yeah there's yeah. there's definitely and, and and then he, he just kind of that little look on his face as he shimmies yeah, down well there. exactly he shimmies, and she just kind of looks up like "Ooh, what's going on like you yeah. like oh hello um okay anyway well there, no there's... and i think the james the james bond reference kind of applies to the the whole episode has kind of a james bondy kind of feel like Aside from the supernatural element of the monster, it is like black ties and cocktail parties and, you know, girls in cocktail dresses and mad scientists and very modern and glitzy. It all kind of has a a James Bondy sort of feel to it. Yeah. The whole way through, I think. That's interesting. I hadn't really looked at it in that way. So, but you're right, I think. There is, and of course, then the sexual tension between him and martha right um wouldn't go amiss yeah right right um huh no that's interesting i hadn't really thought about it like that but but i think you're right uh the okay so he he i guess i've avoided talking about lazarus like i've talked about everything (laughs) related to the doctor except except how him and lazarus interact so i guess we have to go there Okay. I am going to well, okay, Sorry, go ahead. Here. Well, I just want to say that and I think I said this to you before that more interesting to me than the character of Lazarus himself is that we're getting I think we're getting themes, repeated memes if you will, that are being <laughs> that are starting to be um repeated through the season. That that these are like certain themes which aren't just contained to a single episode but are stretching and coming up again and again so twice now twice in a row we've got this idea of evolution and progress and and what does that mean we've also got the issue of what it means to be human you know which has been uh certainly in the last episode with the daleks but also with shakespeare i mean the doctor talks about the most human human who ever lived and everything that this ideal of what humanity means um and then in being human you get to talk about this idea of long life and death and what does that you know how does that change is is death part of being human or is avoiding death being human and what about the doctor who doesn't 
face death and how does he view death and humanity and all those things. So I, you know, I think those are kind of some of the ideas that Lazarus, the character is sort of, you know, meant to evoke and that these are ideas which are stretching over the course of the season. So now you can say what you were <laughs> going to say. I had a problem with the use of the Lazarus name. Um, Obviously, <laughs> with the biblical allusion to Lazarus, yeah. who was raised from the dead, um, whereas the Lazarus here isn't—it's about avoiding death, right? So, yeah, almost the the raising from the dead Lazarus is is closer to a doctor allusion, you know, with the regeneration sure, yeah. than yeah. than what's going on in here. Um, right. This is <clears throat> what the, this very Tolkien idea that this is. Lazarus is almost doing kind of what the ring does, which isn't true immortality. It's just prolonged mm. life. It's butter stretched over too much bread. It's just elongated life, not actual rebirth or renewal mm. in any positive sense. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's fine. That being said, I, I, I get what you're saying about, um, sort of the themes and, and that is interesting. So that the evolution and we, and, and like we talked about the, the multiple types of evolution that sort of go along with um, the Daleks in the previous episodes. Um, but here, like the doctor comes right out and says, what you're doing is not, you're not improving. You're not evolving. You're not, um, you know, this is, you're trying to prolong life, but one, you know, you're killing off all these other people. Um, mm -hmm. But also, like, even if you do that, that doesn't, like, having more life doesn't make it better life. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's, that seems to me sort of the key point, right? It's it's the, um, what does he say? And I don't remember if I wrote it down exactly, but, like, you know, something like, you can, you you know, some people live more in 20 years than other people live mm -hmm. in 80. And you just think of someone like, I, obviously they quote like T.S. Eliot, but, you know, a different poet. You think of someone like John Keats who died at the age of like right. 25, you know, yeah. and is, yeah, right. is like. What did he accomplish in 25 years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah, even just the few years where he was actually active, you know. Right. Um, right. As a poet, yeah. you know. So, you know, just things like that where. Where, yeah, it, you know, and then you brought up, like, the idea that uh, life is a is a facing of death rather than an avoidance of it. And, and we get sort of the two points of view on that. Um, so, like, as a, even though the allusion to Lazarus doesn't quite work, I, I think that that does work from a character perspective of, of Professor Lazarus and and sort of his attempts to achieve something that can't be done. And and the doctor can, you know, tells him you can't like this can't be done. This can't be done. And 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 he Lazarus just refuses to accept it. Like and he doesn't even recognize the doctor's authority, which is interesting because we don't get many people who don't recognize the doctor's authority. Mm -hmm. um, even when like humans just seem to accept his authority, you know, because he seems to know what he's doing. 
non-humans seem to accept the doctor's authority because they know who he is or at least once they find out that he was a time lord they at least know who the time lords are or something you know what i mean so like they know what his capabilities are but like this is lazarus like he's he doesn't he's not alien obviously but he's also not a person who just sort of will accept what the doctor says at face value so i find i find that sort of interesting as well Mm -hmm. um I wanted to bring up, though, with regard to the idea of death and long life, um, I think there's some interesting parallel, one interesting, at least parallel with with Buffy in the episode we just talked about. Um, We talked about Whistler and where he's he's saying to Buffy, like, you're all you've got. This is the Mm -hmm. only, you you know, you, you can't necessarily rely on someone else because in the end, you're all you've got. And then, of course the parallel there with spike saying I'm all you've got. And and the fact that she does actually have more friends like that all plays into it. But here we get the, the doctor saying something that sounds very similar, but in some ways is, is very opposite even to what, um, you know, to what Whistler is telling to Buffy and, and he tells, uh, he tells, um, Lazarus, the, doc- the doctor tells Lazarus that if you live long enough, the only certainly the only certainty left is that you'll end up alone. Um, and I kind of I, I think I told you before, I don't think I mentioned this when we were talking about Buffy, but I told you before we started recording that um, Whistler's comments to Buffy that, uh, you know, in the end, you're all you've got reminded me actually of Firefly, uh, where mm-hmm. Malcolm Reynolds says everybody dies alone. Mm-hmm. Um or was that even in Serenity? I don't remember where exactly, but somewhere in that Firefly, That's in Firefly. Uh, universe, uh, you know, yeah. he says that. I, I can't remember exactly which episode mm-hmm. or whatever. But that's a very Whedon-esque sort of existentialism. And, mm-hmm. and it, um, you know, it's that, it's sort of empowering in a way because it, you know, it, it forces you to realize that if you want something done, you have to do it. You know, if you want something done or you want something done right, you have to do it. And so there's a certain empowerment there, but it's also a very fatalistic point of view, which which you kind of mentioned um, in that, you know, you. You can't necessarily rely on anyone else. You do have to Mm -hmm. just sort of rely on your own power. And so um, it's interesting to me here that the doctor is saying that actually part of the reason why you need to face up with death now is because eventually you will be alone. You won't have anyone else to rely on, but there, there's a, I don't know if hopeful is the right word or, but, but certainly a less sort of fatalism, but I still think it's an existentialist point of view. It's, it's more of a, it's more of a humanist point of view in a, in a, in a way that says like, you know, because we are, who we are and because we have death and because, um, you know, uh, of the lives that we lead and and having to face death, we can work together to achieve things. But if you try to cheat death, if you try to cheat being human, then, Mm -hmm. then that's not going to work out. Like then, then you're going to wind up, uh, you know, just being alone. You're, you're not going to have anyone else with you. And so I, I find it interesting and, and, and it almost, 
I think almost points to sort of the two, I think, core differences between these two shows from mm-hmm. a from a sort of high concept philosophical level. Um, but at the same time, we do see that Buffy has help. Like even though right. people are telling her you're all you've got, you know, Whistler in particular is telling her you're all you got. We already know that Buffy and and you pointed out the you know, with Buffy and Kendra, uh, Kendra was the one who was the self-reliant one and Buffy was the one who had the friends and the family. And we even, we even got Spike, uh, I don't remember which episode it was, but where Spike even says, oh, a slayer with friends and family who, you know, I didn't, I didn't see the brochure. brochure. Yeah, Yeah. that wasn't in the brochure. So like, like, you know, like, even though we're getting people telling Buffy explicitly, we still do get this idea that, you know, in this sort of existentialist world, we, and even though we are the ones that we ultimately need to rely on ourselves, we can still have friends and, and be successful and, and rely on them. Even if sometimes they let us down. So. Right. Well, and I think it's also the same with Dr. Who, that even though it's the doctor espousing this, this viewpoint of, cultivating community and togetherness and all these things who's he talking about in this moment he's talking about himself that i know that a longer life isn't always a better one right. you get tired you get tired of the struggle you t- you're tired of losing everything that matters to you and watching everything turn to dust well who's he talking about right then well and this he's, is in the context and, of and him so just the, trying ha- to to have Martha, Leave Martha behind. Yeah, not yeah. not join him with so, him anymore. So yeah, as much as he's talk again, as much as he's giving this maybe more um, le- or less fatalistic viewpoint of of together is what matters, and and you know you should not try to you know you know make yourself unhuman or else you'll end up alone. This is coming from someone who is for intents and purposes, very alone. Yeah. That he he has watched everything turn to dust. His whole planet's gone. His whole race is gone. Right. You he's don't lost, get more alone than he is. He's lost every right. companion he's ever had. I mean, now, this is the argument for his continual search for new friends and new companions, but he only gets new companions because he loses the ones that he has. Mm. So as much as it seems and maybe is more optimistic on the surface, it's underpinned by something which is just as, you know, uh, sort of lonely as what Buffy's going through. Mm. So I think both of them, it's, it is interesting to hear kind of like what is the surface argument and then what underpins that, which is actually kind of undermining the thing which they're sort of professing <laughs> to yeah. stand for. And, um, and, it, and it's funny that in both of those cases... Like even though the, the the what's being said seems opposite in the in the end, they actually are very similar viewpoints, and that's kind yeah. of like I don't know. That's interesting. I, I think that's it's really no, that, it is that that's a really interesting parallel between the two shows. That I think is even like I would look out for that sort of thing. Um, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen, in Doctor Who. I know a little, obviously, about what's going to happen in Buffy, and I would just say. <laughs> You know, like, let's keep an eye on that, because I think that that may that could come into play more, assuming yeah. that that those sorts of ideas, which seem like they will, 
uh, continue to come up in Doctor Who, you know, we may get other opportunities. Oh, I, the, the idea, the, the theme of the Doctor's loneliness is not going anywhere. So <laughs> and we're going to keep And I suspected as much. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. So um, anyway, we have gone over... Um, By a mile. On so. our time on, on both of the... Well, primarily on the Buffy episode, but... I think these are these are great things. Um, you know, I, I despite my disliking of the name Lazarus, I actually liked this episode. Like, I don't. I, I know yeah. I sort of, um, you know, dumped a little on on that, but um, there's also like the connection of Lazarus and Martha, um, who were yeah, who were sure. siblings in the Bible. Um, that I'm not sure quite works from the illusion sort of perspective here, but yeah, but right, they don't. That's kind of a avenue that they didn't really do anything with yeah but 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 i do have to say i i do overall like the episode so i don't i don't want to give a sense that i that that sort of thing ruined it at all i think there was a lot of interesting stuff here and and i like that now they have like they've you know they've gotten to the point in their relationship where they've defined it right martha is actually a companion now she's not just a passenger which apparently is a distinction from companion so (laughs) um you know, I think yeah. that that that's that's good that they've that they've gotten to that point where they're comfortable, and now we're you know we're we become comfortable with Martha and our. <clears throat> I know there are Hoovians out there who don't particularly like Martha as a companion, um, but I'm okay with her at this point. So let's see what else she has to I am say too. to us. Yep. So, okay. All right. Well, on that note, we will be back uh, sooner than you think because we're going to be doing our end of season Buffy wrap up here shortly. And then uh, after that on to season three and, and on to the next episode of Dr. Who. So that's good. See you then.